suicidality is something I think all clinicians really fear identifying, although it's incredibly important because suicide is one of the um, most common causes of death in people with epilepsy. Fellow Homo sapiens, now this week's Epilepsy Sparks Insights episode is very important, but it's not for anyone who might be depressed or suicidal or have suicidal ideation. We will be covering these topics, so please don't let this be a trigger and instead listen to something cheery and tune in next week where we will be talking about epilepsy genetics. With that said, this week we talked to adult epileptologist and researcher Heidi Munger-Clary who specialises in helping people with epilepsy who experience anxiety, depression and who are at risk of suicide. Heidi tells us about patient risk identification and prevention, access to help and tools for clinicians and patients, which are in great demand. I'm an adult epilepsy specialist at Wake Forest University School of Medicine, which is in North Carolina in the southeastern United States. I'm a researcher seeking to close care gaps for anxiety and depression in people with epilepsy. Um, and I direct an education program here. I love that you are focusing on the mental health side of things. And I know part of that in a recent paper of yours, Epilepsy and Suicide, um, well, you're looking at the suicide side of things. Can you tell us about your study and the challenges that you've identified? Uh, suicidality is something I think all clinicians really fear identifying, although it's mm-hmm. incredibly important because Suicide is one of the um, most common causes of death in people with epilepsy. And, you know, we have to think about the fact that so many people have untreated anxiety and depression in epilepsy samples because it's hard to get to specialized mental health providers, because lots of neurology clinics don't screen for anxiety and depression or don't address it in different ways. Sometimes clinicians indicate that they're afraid to ask about suicidality because they might find it and they feel ill-equipped to address it. Perhaps there aren't good mental health resources in the particular clinic environment. But what's really important is that, first of all, managing anxiety and depression might potentially help reduce the risk of suicidality. And the other important thing is for clinicians to know whether you ask or not, that's probably not going to change the situation about how that patient is at that given moment. They are or are not at risk. So it's really important for clinicians to start equipping with you know, small resources to figure out how to help. So for example, what we did in our clinic um, is we were able to put depression screening instruments in the electronic health record for patients to fill out before their visits or when they arrived at the visit. And it has one suicidality screening question. We built into our health record an alert that if someone indicated a high risk of suicidality on this six question depression instrument for people with epilepsy called the NDDIE, an alert would pop up and we built some simple tools for our neurologists to help them address this in partnership with our psychiatry department. A checklist of different questions to answer and resources that could be given, as well as guidance about what to do if someone was actively suicidal, if that alert popped up. So there are some simple educational things that can be done to really help equip neurologists to be able to address suicidality and really help hopefully make an impact on this important cause of mortality. Um, In the paper that we published, 
we have um, an overview of what that guide included for neurologists. So hopefully this could be a starting point for some if they um, are not quite sure what to do or how to get started. Also, depending upon where someone lives, there may be community resources, helplines, hotlines, emergency services. And for example, in the United States, we just had an emergency hotline rollout that's only three numbers, 988. So helping clinicians and patients know about these resources um, may really be able to make an impact. So as well as us, of course, wanting people to be able to recognize when a person has suicidal thoughts or ideation, um, how do we minimize the occurrence to start off with, like try and stop that from happening? This is a great question. And it's not an easy question, but I think for us as neurologists or epilepsy clinicians, the first thing we can do is try to prevent it by identifying anxiety and depression and managing it earlier. This may really help. Um, and not just depression, but thinking about anxiety, I think is very important. There's some recent research showing that anxiety strongly increases the risk of suicidality. So all of our work to try to acknowledge and link people to resources to address anxiety and depression may well prevent the progression to something more severe that involves suicidality. You're taking all this knowledge and research, I believe, um onto what's the name of the, the team that with the ILAE I've forgotten the name of your team oh yes the integrated mental health care pathways task force so this is a new task force of the ILAE psychiatry commission recognizing that the field is now getting ready to take practical action and really try to help with comorbidities for many years research has focused on identifying them and understanding it's a problem but the field wasn't quite ready to really tackle it head on. And so the goal of the Integrated Mental Health Care Pathways Task Force is to start to provide a framework and tools for local epilepsy and seizure care settings to provide more comprehensive care that in some way incorporates the care of mental health along with epilepsy. And there are many different kinds of models. And our main goal is to bring some attention to this and again to provide some practical tools so that local care settings can get started in trying to really address these issues and this is in line with the um, the recently um, uh, published global act and ratified by the WHO global action plan for epilepsy um, and so that's something that we'll be working on in the next few years through our task force. Brilliant. And, and how many countries are involved in the task force? Just so everybody knows that like international league against epilepsy is international. So it's because it's important to get all different cultures. And it is. Well, the international league against epilepsy, you know, certainly involves all the regions of the world. But in terms of our task force, we have uh, members from Africa, Europe, Southeast Asia, South America, North America. Um, so we so we have a broad representation across the world in our task force. And that, that's one of the goals of these ILAE groups are to try to incorporate input from all of the regions as much as possible. So Heidi, please tell us about the how you are training other clinicians um, when it comes to suicidality and the mental health of, um, of patients. It's something that often has been ignored in educational training programs. 
one of the things that we do is that for our neurology residency program, we have a session every year about psychiatric comorbidities and then also um, other uh, related comorbidities such as functional seizures. Um, but I, I think it's very important to try and train as broadly as we can. So for example, when medical students come through my clinic, I teach them about the epilepsy quality measures to screen for anxiety and depression, and I show them how to use the tools to screen our patients in the clinic. And so I think you know every clinical interaction and every touch with different learners can help make an impact. And so I try to do that in each way that I can. But there's definitely need for more action in this area. Um, and so I think that you know as a field, we are working on trying to coordinate better education as well. And for example, the ILAE has a curriculum that includes comorbidities as well, and they're working on developing more um, tools and more resources for that education as well. Have you also, have you touched at all on um, how the mental health and epilepsy of a patient can affect their carer? I think especially if a, um, a, person, a patient might have very severe refractory epilepsy, there was a study done over here, I know, uh, just a little one, about the mental health, um, uh, the effect of mental health of, of parents, for instance. Do you touch on that? If someone has mental health comorbidity sometime, and it's not addressed, it can sometimes get in the way of the seizure treatment as well in terms of uh, different you know, impacts on the ability to you know, take medications. This is something that we don't really know if we can impact but we do know that people with anxiety or depression are more likely to have side effects of anti-seizure medications. They're potentially more likely to have um, some uh, psychiatric adverse effects after an epilepsy surgery. And so these are really important relationships we don't fully understand. But what we can do is really try to optimize the care for the mental health comorbidities and that may well optimize the seizure condition as well. It's an area of research, and but I, there's a lot of reason to think that those kinds of interventions to help control anxiety and depression symptoms may make some impact. But we're working on learning how much and whether that's the case through ongoing research. Oh, please keep us updated on that. I was actually having a conversation with somebody. I've got a plant fetish, right? <laughs> I've taught too many plants. and But they helped chill me out. And if I'm more chilled out, I'm less anxious, I'm less stressed, I'm more likely to sleep well, which means I'm less likely to have a seizure. So it's not sometimes a direct effect, but, you know, it affects it. That's a really good point. You know, and it's very common that stress is a trigger that people identify for their seizures. So how can we intervene on that? Or can we? Is it something that we and there might even be some, you know, novel approaches to that that we'll learn about over time. There's new attention to an area called anticipatory anxiety of seizures, you know, a, a fear of having a seizure that impacts people's lives. And um, there are some efforts underway to try to understand this and see whether different treatment approaches, whether it be psych brief psychotherapy interventions or different kinds of medication strategies than a daily antidepressant or then a seizure treatment medication, um, might help with this. So I think we'll learn more over time how we can make an impact on that. Are you taking into account, I wonder, this is just coming from my personal angle, the more I learn about the epilepsies and anything to do with dodgy brain activity, the more relaxed I feel. 
a big about the epilepsies because okay you understand well the more you learn the more you realize you don't know but <laughs> you have an understanding okay that's not in my control okay maybe I can have an impact on that and you just feel more confident the more that you learn it's what, what do you think about that can that be part of you know improving people's quality of life um by educating them I really like what you're saying and and I really think you know what that is one of the things that we've been discussing in in terms of impacting anticipatory anxiety of seizures for example you know is it that we need to provide better more in-depth education and reassurance and expectations and is that one of the key components of how to address it um, so I think you're right on that, you know, that's an element that we need to do better with as a field, um, and it may really help. Yeah, I mean, even if you know that you can't control something, like, so you can't take that tumor out your brain yourself, or you can't, you know, you've got that temporal sclerosis, you can't do, you know, or whatever is limited, you know where you stand. And that really helps us, I think, in all parts of our life, generally. You know what you can do and what you can't do. So don't stress, at, or try not to stress as much about the stuff that you can't do. Because you really get, and this is outside of the epilepsy sphere for everybody, if you, you get stressed about getting stressed and then you kind of get stuck in this circle, don't you? And it's just debilitating and anxiety inducing. Great, well said. I, I think you make a great point. So if people want to learn more about you, where can they go? I'll put links to your profiles underneath, but I know that you're not overly active on social media. That's true. At some point I'll have to, I'll have to get there. Um, but it, folks are w absolutely welcome to look online or to get in touch via email, um, h-m-u-n-g-e-r-c at wakehealth.edu um, is a way to get in touch. Thank you so much to Heidi for her professional, genuine, caring insight into helping people with epilepsy when they have suicidal thoughts, ideation and plans. To any clinicians nervous of the topic, there are some simple educational things that can be done to really help equip you to be able to address suicidality. That's a quote from Heidi. <laughs> so please seek advice and training from your lead or contact Heidi directly. Contact details are in the text below. For any family, carers or friends, please don't get angry with somebody for being suicidal or attempting suicide. The person is very unwell. So don't judge and flaunt insensitivity and ignorance by telling them not to think that way or to stop being selfish. Instead, show care and love. Call emergency services if needed. Show support. And let us all try and improve our understanding of suicidality and epilepsy, what people go through and how we can help them. For anybody feeling depressed, anxious or suicidal, know that you are worth being here and you do matter, even if you don't feel like it. And if you don't feel like you matter and if you feel like nobody understands that and that everything is pointless <clears throat> and that the world is better off without you and that there is no hope, well, there is a glimmer of hope. And it might seem like a tiny sliver of a glimmer, but it is there. So if you want or need somebody to talk to about your feelings and somebody who won't judge you, then please do see the link below this recording listing numbers to call for somebody to talk to.